Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Oh, thank God, thank God. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. I've got a free weekend. We're not necessarily in a series, but I want to introduce an idea that we'll talk about really in, in two parts. I want to talk to you introducing it today and then next Sunday. You do not want to miss next Sunday. Turn to your neighbor and say, be here next Sunday. We will bring the conclusion to this message next Sunday. You don't want to miss it. But I want to talk to you and I want to speak to you. I want you to receive this as a spiritual father would speak to a family. Okay, I want to talk to you not out of a preacher, you know, but out of, out of a pastoral spirit. Um, sometimes when you love people, you warn people. Can I have a good amen? amen. And, and so today it's going to serve the, the, the tone of the message today. I don't want you to misinterpret what we're saying. Everything I'm going to say to you today is motivated out of love. Come on, somebody say he loves me. Come on, God loves you, I love you, and so this is motivated out of love, but it's going to serve as a warning. I want to read 1 Kings chapter 3 and talk to you about a specific topic today. I want to paint two different pictures and, and compare the life of Solomon. I know in our, our Bible reading, we're all reading out of Ecclesiastes, if you're tracking along with that, and Solomon was the writer of Ecclesiastes, and so I've just been digging into his life a little bit, and I found this, and I, I thought this would be a great message to bring to the church uh, out of love to serve as a warning. First Kings chapter 3, starting with verse 5. The Bible says, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. How many of you ever had a dream that was from God? How many of you ever had a dream and it was really the pizza you ate the night before? <laughs> Solomon has a dream and God shows up and this is what he says to him. He says, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. How many of you know that's a good dream right there? There's some dreams you just don't want to wake up from. Can I have a good amen? God shows up and says, Solomon, what do you want? Ask anything that you want and I'll give it to you. Now, how many of you could think of a lot of things right off the top of your head? If God said, what do you want? What would you say? How would you answer this question? Here's what Solomon said in verse six. He replied, Lord, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was an honest and true and, and he was faithful to you. And you continue to show this great love, faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O oh Lord, my God, you've made me king instead of my father, David. But I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and so numerous that they can't even be counted. Okay, Solomon is saying, I've, I've succeeded my father in assuming the throne of Israel. And this is such a great nation. This is your chosen people that you've put me in charge to lead. I feel like a little child. Has anybody ever been in over their head? Yes. Has God ever given you an assignment that's bigger than you? I'm telling you what, you'll never grow in your faith until your assignment is bigger than you are. I think God will always lead us into opportunities that are greater than us because it will require us to lean on him in faith. 
This great nation that you've given me to lead, so numerous, they can't even be counted. Verse 9, give me, here's what he asked for, give me an understanding heart. Or some translations say, give me wisdom so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Now, how many knows that when Solomon asked for wisdom, of all the things that he could have asked for, Solomon asked for the right thing. You just sense humility in Solomon's life. At this point, he's, he feels overwhelmed. He feels underqualified. He's totally dependent on the Lord. He's saying, God, if you don't show up, then I'm not going to be able to do what I'm supposed to do. I pray that we, we live like that as a church. God, if you don't show up, I can't do this on my own. Listen, if you can do it on your own, you don't need God. Every time I stand in front of you, I always pray, Lord, if you don't show up, I'm going to fall flat on my face. If I open my mouth and your words are not in my mouth, then I'm going to embarrass me and you and everybody in here. I pray that we live in such a way where we're so dependent on the wisdom of God. And you know the story. Solomon asked for wisdom and God granted him wisdom. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for the lives of his enemies. He asked for wisdom. And God gave him what he asked for, and God gave him everything he didn't ask for. Now, this is an amazing picture of where Solomon is at the beginning of his leadership. But I want you to fast forward a few chapters to 1 Kings chapter 11, okay? So we see Solomon asking for wisdom, and we see God bestowing wisdom upon Solomon. One of the smartest men in the history of the world was blessed by God. People would travel from far and distant lands to come see Solomon's wisdom and, and to, to hear his conversation in his court and to see how God had blessed him financially. I mean, so much gold, so much silver. It was crazy the prosperity that was on the nation of Israel because of what Solomon had asked for. But now look at what it says in 1 Kings 11. Fast forward to the end of Solomon's reign. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? Now, in these two different chapters, we see the same man in two very different places. Do you see the picture that's been painted here? In just a matter of eight chapters, from 1 Kings chapter 3 to 1 Kings chapter 11, we see Solomon is at a very different place than he was at the beginning of his reign. He had an incredible start, but he had a very tragic finish. In fact, he started out thinking of others, but he ended up living only for himself. My question is this, how does this happen? How does it happen? I mean, Solomon didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, I just want to ruin my life. I just want to trash my relationship with the Lord and hurt everybody that loves me. How many of you know that was never a thought in Solomon's mind? 
He started out in an amazing way, but he struggled to cross the finish line of his faith. Have you ever wondered, how did I end up here? You ever evaluated your life and you say, man, where in the world, of all the steps that I've taken, how did I end up in this place? How did I let things get this bad? Maybe it's an addiction. You never saw yourself as an addict. But, but one thing led to another thing, and now you're in bondage to something, and you hate what it's doing in your life, and you hate how it, it, it makes the other people you love feel, but you're a slave to something. You think, how did I end up here? Maybe it's loneliness, or maybe it's brokenness, or maybe it's distance in your marriage, or, or, or maybe if you were to look in the mirror and evaluate your today, you thought, you know what? This is not how I intended my life playing out. You know what it's called? It's called the drift. The drift. Everybody say the drift. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Right? The, the, the title of the message today is, I want to talk to you about the dangers of the drift. The, the dangers of the drift. We've got to drill down on this because the truth is this. All of us have a propensity to drift. It's easy. I mean, consider this. How many of you have plans maybe this summer to go to the beach? Anybody? How many likes going to the beach? How many of you were to close your eyes right now? You can just picture Destin. Ooh, beautiful white sand. Oh, you can hear the waves coming in. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Yes, Lord. It's my happy place. I love the beach. Have you ever been to the beach and you, you're there with all of your gear and you got the towel and you got your umbrella and you got your snacks and you got your chairs and you got all of your, you got your music and you know, you got to have your, the right equipment. You come with your toys and man, you're all excited and you set up camp. You find the perfect spot at your spot. Don't nobody take my spot. This is okay. I scouted this out. I've marked my territory. Here's where we're going to camp out. Then you get your toys and you run into the water and you're playing and you're playing. 30 minutes later, you look up and you're like, wait, where'd my stuff go? Who took my stuff? Somebody stole our cooler. Somebody, and, and you don't realize it, but you look 30 yards down the beach line and there's your stuff. Now, what happened? Your stuff didn't move. You moved. Come on, are you with me? You see, there was something in the water. There was a tide. There was a current. And unknowingly, it moved you from where you were to where you are now. Come on, somebody say the drift. Okay, if that doesn't connect, what about this? Have you ever been driving and you just kind of, you know, fogging out, just singing your music, just chill, not even really thinking, and then maybe you're checking a, 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 oh, you got a phone call, what was that? I'm not supposed to be texting and driving, a little distracted, and you kind of veer off a little bit. I know we're afraid to say amen, aren't we? <laughs> Ladies, you ever been, t- you know, on your way to work, and as you're driving, you're Come on now, don't lie to your pastor. You know you do it. You know you. I've seen some of you. I've seen you. You're rolling down the road and you're applying the makeup because you're trying to save time. And you don't realize, simply because you're distracted, but you begin to drift. Come on, somebody say drift. And, and, and you, you get out of, you're supposed to stay in your lane. You're driven that way every day, every morning. You can drive it with your eyes closed. In fact, sometimes your eyes are closed. And you get out of your lane and you know those grooves that they have on the side of the road? Those little snooze grooves, you know, you fogged out and they told you, wait a second, you got to get back in line. Why? Because you drifted. Are you with me? You see, it's easy to drift. I want you to consider this. How many married couples do we have? 
Look, I read this the other day. I thought, wow, this is an interesting picture. They call this the seven stages of a married cold. Have you heard this? Okay, your wife has gotten a cold. Year one, it starts out like this. The husband says, well, sugar dumpling, I'm so worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle. There's no telling with the things that are going around, all this strep and stuff. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you in the hospital today for a general checkup. That way you can get good rest. I know the food there is lousy, so I'm going to swing by Fleming's and get you a little to-go. Your favorite. I've already got it all arranged with the floor superintendent. Baby, we're going to take care of this cold. That's year one. Year two, listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called the doctor. He's coming over here to make a personal visit. Now you go to bed like a good girl. Year three, maybe you better lie down, honey. There's nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something. Do we have any canned soup? Year four, now baby, be sensible. After you fed the kids and washed the dishes and finished vacuuming, go lay down. Year five. I'm going to play ball with the boys. Call me if you need anything. (laughs) Year six, if you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like some seal. (laughs) Year seven, well, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia? (laughs) Come on, how many married couples understand what we're talking about here? You see, it's easy whether you're on the beach whether you're driving down the road or even in a relationship, how many of you know it's easy to drift? We do it without even thinking. Consider this, and I've, I've, had, I've been on this flight before. From Los Angeles to Sydney, Australia is one of the longest flights out there. If you were to get on that flight and the pilot were to set the coordinates on his instrument panel to fly you from Los Angeles, California to Sydney, Australia, if he were to set his instrument panel one degree off, If he's just off one degree and you leave from LAX on your way to Sydney off one degree, you know where you'll end up? China. 17 hours at one degree off will put you way, way, way off course. And this is where we see Solomon. He started on point with the presence of God. Lord, I need you. God, I can't do this without you. You've blessed me and brought me to this level of leadership, but Lord, my eyes are on you. God, I feel like a child. If you don't give me wisdom, this whole thing is going to collapse. That's where he started, but where he ended was, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to marry her and her and all of them and a lot of them. For him to be the smartest guy in the world, (laughs) marrying a thousand women, that was a dumb, dumb, dumb idea. And all the fellas said, guys, how many of you struggling with the one that you got? Don't raise your hands. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we're going to be praying for some husbands today. You see, it's easy to get displaced spiritually when you're not anchored. When when you're not anchored, when you're not tethered to something or someone stronger than you, it's easy to drift. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 3. Listen to this verse. Oh, and by the way, the author of this verse is none other than King Solomon. Listen to what he said in Proverbs 19, 3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the Lord. How many know sometimes God is getting blamed for things he never did? How in the world did I end up here? And maybe some of you, and and please hear the heart of your pastor. This is all motivated by love. 
but I just felt in my spirit because I know how it is when you enter into the summer season, you shift gears and it's easy to fall into the summer slump. Things happen, the family dynamic, the family schedule, and I understand seasons in life and all of us need to respect the season that God has us in. But my my concern for us this summer, I don't want us to drift. In fact, let me put it this way. Some of you are like, well, Mike, I'm not sure if I'm drifting or not. I want you to consider this. If you can look back in your experience with God and pinpoint a time where your love for God was hotter than it is now, you might be drifting. If you can see a season, a time, a place, maybe you were in the word and maybe God was speaking to you and your passion for the house of God, for the things of God, to be a part of the purposes of God. If you can identify a time in your history where you were closer to God then than you are now, you might be drifting. Now, let me give you quickly five stages of the drift, okay? Five stages of drifting. And I I wanna pinpoint, I wanna dissect this. Because we got to see how the enemy works. we got to see how this comes to play in our lives. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, it all starts with neglect. Everybody say neglect. This is the starting point of the drift. Now, today is not about guilt. And I'm not trying to pound people or punish people. I'm trying to educate us today. You're not a bad person if you've drifted. I don't want you to feel condemned or, man, pastor's just preaching me halfway to hell because I'm not with God anymore. No, 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 I'm not dogging Solomon. I'm wanting us to learn from Solomon's life because the truth is it doesn't matter how much scripture you know, how much love you have for God or, or who your parents were or the days that you were raised in church. All of us have a tendency, it's just human nature, to drift, and the starting point is neglect. Now, you say, Mike, how does that happen? Well, really, there are three words. When I thought about neglect, nobody intentionally steps away from God, but it just happens over time. Really, three things. Maybe we get busy. How many know that what the devil can't stop, he'll accelerate? Well, come on now. There's a sermon in that in and of itself. You just get busy. And there's a lot going on with kids, with grandkids, with friendships, with your career. And, you know, all of us making sacrifices to move our life forward. And sometimes there's so much going on in our world that we, we get easily distracted. Busyness leads to distraction. How many of you, how, how many know somebody that's ADD, ADHD, A to Z, I mean, we live in a culture that constantly bombards us with, hey, what about this? 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 With social media, it's hard to turn things off. But busyness causes us to get distracted, and then eventually what will set in is laziness. Then we get lazy in our spirit. I, I want you to know what I felt God cautioned me personally two weeks ago. God warned me. He said, Mike, don't get lazy in your spirit. Say, Mike, what are you talking about? Well, it's easy. When, when you get lazy in your spirit, you know the first thing to go? Your Bible reading. You know what? I, that one-year Bible, oh, man, I just, I hadn't been tracking along. A, a, a few days, I missed a week. A week has turned into several weeks. And then if you're two or three weeks, a month behind, you're thinking, man, what's the use? What, and you just, it's either all or nothing. Please hear my heart. Something is better than nothing. Listen, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Oh, come on now. I mean, if if David, all he had was was five stones 
in a shepherd's bag. Come on, somebody. Giants will fall, and God only used one stone to do it. So don't think, well, you know what, all or nothing. I've kind of gotten off my prayer schedule. Or, you know, you, 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 you no longer attend that small group that you used to. Maybe at one time you hosted a small group. And now you're not even a part of it anymore. And so the Bible reading is hit and miss, mostly miss. Prayer time is, Lord, help me here. But it's not necessarily intimacy and fellowship with God. No, no longer in small group community. And then you know what begins to slide? Church attendance. Well, you know, we're just busy. Kids are playing tournament ball. And God bless cheerleading. And God bless all the sports that our kids play and the swimming lessons. And I'm not saying don't take a vacation. But I am saying this. Prioritize the house of God this summer. And you don't even have to physically be here. You know the beauty of the Internet? You can be at the beach with your family on vacation and say, oh, you know what? It's 9 o'clock. Let's tune on healingplacechurch.org. Guess what? We get to participate. I have people send me pictures all the time, say, I was on a business trip, and I'm watching from my hotel room. Or guess what? We're on this family vacation, and look, all the kids are gathered around, and there's a healing place. Here's this environment. If you can prioritize the presence of God, it will keep you from drifting. You see, neglect, it sees nothing ever improves with neglect. Have you noticed that? How many of you know that if you don't take care of your body, If you neglect your body, you're going to forfeit your health. Your body does not improve with neglect. How many of you know if you don't change the oil in your car for about a year and a half? That little knocking noise in that engine. Ignore that that, that, uh, check engine light on your instrument panel. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you've been riding with that check engine light for a long time. Do that long enough. If you neglect your vehicle, it's going to break down on you. If you neglect relationships, neglect your children, neglect your marriage, nothing improves with neglect. Let me say it this way. And again, it's all motivated out of love. Please know that I love you. But I I, I, I warn you, consider this picture. There's a difference between explosion and erosion. How many know there's, there's there's a big difference? but the end result is exactly the same. You see, explosion is something immediate. And, and, and it, you can recognize, I mean, if somebody's dropping a bomb, yeah, there, there's no secrets about that. And it's devastating, that's what explosion is. But you know what erosion is? You ever seen those sinkholes in Florida? I mean, for years, you just don't know. There's something happening underneath the, the surface of the ground. And things are happening and slowly and over time until all of a sudden that thing caves in. And guess what? It looks like a bomb has gone off. You see, the results are the same, but the process is totally different. Neglect is that process of erosion. Number one, neglect. Number two, here's what happens. Once we begin to neglect, the drift starts with neglect. But then when we begin to drift away through neglect, there's a thing called access. Number two, everybody say access. What happens is this. When we cool down our passionate pursuit of the Lord, then we give the enemy access. We open the door for the devil. Now, in Sunday school, we used to sing this song, Shut the door, keep out the devil. Shut the door, keep the devil in the night. Shut. Y'all didn't sing this song as a kid growing up. I'm having a fun Sunday school moment up in here. Shut the door, keep out the devil. Uh-uh. Shut the door, keep the devil in the night. Shut the door. Hey, 
turkey about the devil. Light the candle, everything's all right. Say, light the candle, everything. Man, I'm having fun up in here. I just taught you a song. Because my Sunday school teacher used to say, if you don't shut the door to the devil, guess what happens? Say you open it just an inch. He's going to put his big toe in. Then he's going to put that knee in. Then he's going to lean in with that shoulder. Next thing you know, he's got that booty up in there. He's busting up in your house. He's setting up camp. And it's all because of a little crack. Just, you gave him just a little bit of access through neglect. Now, a door for the enemy has been opened. I want you to consider this story. I read this years ago. Never forgot it. A, a Haitian pastor tells this parable. He said a man was selling his house for $2,000. A poor man didn't have the resource to buy it bargained with him and said, listen, will you sell me your house for $1,000? Well, the owner of the house said, yes, I'll do it under one stipulation. I'm going to reduce the price to $1,000 under these conditions. The whole house belongs to you except for one nail above the front door. That nail belongs to me. So the poor man said, well, sure, we'll do it. So the exchange was made, $1,000 was given. Now you got a new owner in this house. He's all excited. Well, two years go by, the original owner comes back, knocks on the door and says, hey, I'd like to buy this house back. Well, the new owner says, no, 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 we made a deal. It's my house, my family's living in it. So you know what the old owner did? He remembered that nail above the front door that belonged to him. So he went out into the streets and he got the carcass of a dead dog. And he hung the carcass of that dead dog on the one nail that he owned. And soon enough, that house smelt so bad, it became unlivable. And so the owners had to sell it back to the one who owned the nail. Now, you know where I'm going with this. The enemy of your soul is looking for a nail. Just one nail. And if we give, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If we give just one peg of our life to the enemy, he's going to return and he's going to hang his rotten, filthy garbage on that one nail that he owns. And see, if we're not careful, a little thing can develop into a big thing. When we neglect our, the presence of God and our pursuit of him, then we give the enemy access is there a nail over the front door of your life that you've leased out to the enemy? I, I believe today we need to make sure that the whole house belongs to God. We need to deed every square inch. Don't you give up one square inch of your life to the enemy. Can I have a good amen? Number one, neglect. In fact, in fact let me read this. Ephesians 4.27, the Bible says, leave no such room or a foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. Can I have a good amen? Oh, I love that. That's how a foothold becomes a stronghold. That's how a little thing becomes a big thing. The whole house, God, we want it to belong to you. Number one, neglect. Neglect leads to access, number two. Number three, then we begin to just tolerate. We just tolerate. The enemy has taken that nail and he's moved into a room. And now we just say, we're living with the enemy. Well, at least the, the majority of my house is okay. It's still livable. But little do you know that little by little, the enemy is gaining ground. And one small compromise leads to another small compromise, and we just live in it. And it's mediocre. Can I tell you this? Jesus died so that we could live above mediocrity. 
He didn't want you just to settle for your current situation. He said, I've paid a high price to give you so much more. Don't tolerate the enemy in your life, in your marriage, in your relationship, with your children. You see, 95% commitment is always 5% short. Well, I'm committed to God 95%, but then there's about 5%. It's amazing how the devil can leverage that 5%, and then that 5% becomes 15%. Are you with me? How many of you know that in a marriage, 95% commitment is not going to work? What if I were to tell Rachel, hey, baby, you know I love you. Girl, you're my girl. I'm your hunk of hunk of burning love. Man, we've been married 20, 21, 22 years. Oh, man, you're top at my list. But there is a list. There's a cut two, number two, number three, number four. They're, they're on that list too. How many know that's not going to work for Rachel? She's going to say, hey, I will cut you. <laughs> there would be some bloodletting. Come on, somebody. She's going to remind me on no uncertain terms. I am the list. I am the first and the last, the alpha, the omega. Come on, somebody. She needs to know that I am holy and completely committed to her 100%. And guess what? God will not tolerate anything less. Jesus gave us his everything. What is our response in return? Lord, everything I have, it belongs to you. My resources, my children, my job, the talent, whatever ability you've given me. Father, it all came from you. I want to honor you with it. Christ didn't die for my partial commitment. He wants full devotion. See, listen, we will never change what we continue to tolerate. There's some area, what area of your life have you just kind of settled in and said, you know what, this is just the way it's going to be? Neglect leads to access. Access creates toleration. And number four, then we just make excuses. We start to excuse. Oh, it's no big deal. Man, I, 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 it's not that bad. I can handle this. I got this. Oh, be careful with that. Hear me, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You don't have this. You don't. Don't underestimate the power of your flesh. We excuse certain things and we think, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. Can I talk about that just for a second? Because when we, sometimes we try to justify our holiness by comparing ourselves to other people. And comparison is a dangerous thing. Because you can always find somebody who's worse than you. And you'll feel a whole lot better about you because you say, well, I'm not like so-and-so. And Jesus says, wait a second. I didn't die for you to be like so-and-so. I challenge you to be like me. You know what the standard is? It's like Jesus. And so it, when I look at my life, if there's anything in my life that doesn't resemble or reflect the spirit and nature of God, I say, Lord, help me not to make an excuse for it. Help me to take responsibility for it. God, if you've identified that in my life, I know it's because you love me. You care about me. You see, excuses will always stand in the way of God's best for us. And what you excuse today, you'll abuse tomorrow. What we excuse today, we abuse tomorrow. Do you see how this works? Everybody say neglect. Say access. Say tolerate. Say excuses. And finally, number five, and I want to ask the band to come up. Number five, you become completely entangled. Everybody say entangled. Mm. We think we're in control, 
but we're really at the mercy of something that we've invited into our lives. This is how bondage works. This is how addictions form. This is how we find so much distance between us and God. And it's the plan of the enemy to drive a wedge. Solomon, I'm sure if you were to ask him in 1 Kings 3, when he started his leadership of the nation of Israel, I'm sure if you were to ask him how he envisioned his life turning out, it would be nothing like what we read in 1 Kings 11. So much that he invited into his life and it turned his heart away from God. Listen to me, dearly beloved, hear me. The dangers of the drift, they are for real. They're for real. And and because we love you, we want to warn you of what's out there. Maybe some of you are here today and you're like, Mike, you, you have described in detail a portion of my life. Maybe you've come here this morning and you feel a million miles away from where you're supposed to be. I want you to know this. There is good news. There's good news. I haven't come to to depress you or discourage you, but in this morning, there is something redemptive. The Bible speaks of an anchor. Everybody say anchor. Hebrews talks about an anchor of the soul. If you find yourself drifting away from your purpose, from your calling, from the presence of God, if you don't like where you are, there is a way back. There's a way back. Now, now, now you come next week, and I'm going to dissect. We're going to talk to you about how to stay anchored, how to find your way back and to stay lockstep with the Spirit. But I want to leave you with hope today. I knew I didn't have enough time in one sermon to preach all of this, but I wanted to split this up into two parts. I feel like some of you are here today, and you need a lifeline. You do. You can't explain how you got to where you are. You don't like where you are. You sense distance emotionally, internally. I just felt like even this morning, I felt God drop this in my spirit. There are some people here who are lonely. On the inside, man, you, you feel all alone. And that's the plan of the enemy is to isolate you. It is to put distance between you and the lover of your soul. God brought you here today to remind you that he's with you. He's for you, he sees you, and he's throwing a lifeline your way today. You say, Mike, what do I do if I'm drifting? I'll tell you what, you reach out and you grab a hold of that lifeline. Hebrews chapter six says this. I love this, Hebrews six nineteen. The Bible says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Jesus is that anchor. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. I am the Lord and I change not. And so you can recalibrate today. You can reset your coordinates and get back on track because there's an anchor and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.